Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. Good morning. Welcome to the last day of the year. Anybody ready to get 2017 in the rear view and 2018 ahead? Um, Anybody uh, still without power out there? Just put your hand up. All right. Well, hey, that's great. Good to know. Um, I was going to say I feel bad for you because I didn't lose power, but it looks like we're in the same boat, so that's great. Feeling bad for Lyndon this morning, but um, yeah, well, hopefully you, uh, you had a great Christmas um, I know we did. We had family in town, and it, it's a, it was a great time, but I'm kind of ready to, to, to get um, out of that Christmas season. I was kind of reminded of a time uh, when, I was, uh, uh, when I was working uh, kind of a, in, in the business world, and I had this guy uh, who right, sit right across from me, and he listened to Christmas music from like November to the middle of January. And I remember those first couple weeks in January, I just wanted to you know, hit this guy every time I came in. It's just, I'm tired of this, man. Okay, you know. It, uh, Christmas music definitely has a shelf life. So, um, yeah, I'm not, not ready, ready to make that, make that transition. Every time we come back to it, it's wonderful, but it can be overdone. Um, but, yeah, if you've been with us in December, uh, you know we've been going through this series called With Us. And it's all about God with us. And, and over the last four weeks, we've seen through the Christmas story just how God was with the different characters of the Christmas story, how he was with Mary and with Joseph, and how that applies to how he's with us today, that he's with us as we wander. He's with us as we're waiting. He's with us in all these different ways. And uh, today, what we're going to talk about, we're going to continue that theme that God is with us. And what the Bible says is that God with us, it's not a theme that's just isolated to the Christmas story. It's not a theme that's just isolated to, to the moment when Jesus came on earth, but it's a theme that, that, that continues on both before Christ and after Christ, that there is a God who wants to be with us. And that's what we get to talk about today. That God has communicated that he wants to be present with us right now. And that nothing's changed. And I think if we're, if we're all honest, we want the security of a God who's with us. We want the security of a God who's with us. It's like when you're, when you're a kid. Didn't you want, if you didn't have one, didn't you want like an older giant brother that if any kid messed with you on the playground would beat them up? Right? I did. I was the oldest, so I was, you know, I was supposed to be that kid, but my brother, who's two and a half years younger than me, ended up being that kid. Like, he was the, the tough kid. I, I, I learned how to play basketball, and he learned Kempo Karate, you know? So it just, it wasn't, it wasn't fair. Um, but we all want that. We all want the security of a God who is with us. And if, if we're honest today, you may not feel that. You may not feel like God is with you. Um, you may, instead, you might feel like abandoned to deal with the pain of life on your own. You may feel that this year, 2017, has been a year where God has continued to take from you and not add. You may feel like God is not close, but distant, that he's untouchable or unknowable. 
or at least unconcerned about you. And I get that. I get that. I, I grew up in the church. I got saved at an early age. But by the time that I reached high school, I was almost done with God. And it's because I felt that God was distant from me. The God that I had, I, I had experienced or, or uh, learned was, was a God who was distant. He was more of a, a distant judge than a father who was close. And by the time that I was almost done with high school, I was almost ready to step away. And uh, every time I messed up in, in that season, I felt like I had stepped on a landmine that blew up God's approval of me. And that why would God want to be with me? So maybe you're in that same tension or you've wrestled with that same tension. Is God actually with me? And we doubt God with us. It can to us, sometimes it sounds more like a cool hallmark phrase, like, oh, cool, God's with us. But it fails to penetrate our hearts and become reality. And so with this in mind, I want to fast forward from Jesus in the manger, this, this uh, moment where God becomes man, where God is with us. And I want to fast forward through Jesus' life and ministry and the cross and, when he, and the resurrection. I want to go to Jesus on the mountaintop. Jesus, when he's about to leave earth, uh, exit the earth, uh, there's this moment that Jesus has with his 11 disciples. It's on this mountaintop near Galilee where Jesus calls the 11 remaining disciples. And, and the disciples, you know, they had journeyed with him through all of that, through all the teaching, all the ministry, all the miracles. They had seen it all. And then they had seen the greatest miracle of all, they, or the greatest, they've experienced the greatest pain of all in the cross, and then seen the greatest miracle of all in the resurrection. And then Jesus calls them to go to this mountaintop, to go to a mountaintop where, where he was going to give them his final words before leaving. And uh, you can imagine what they were feeling at this moment. They probably stood there uh, emotionally drained, tired from hiking up this mountain, a little confused, not knowing what to expect. I mean, Jesus was a pretty unpredictable guy. And so uh, this is what it says. We're going to look at Matthew 28. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And I think it's important that we stop here for a minute. When the disciples had hiked up the mountain, they saw Jesus with their own eyes. And they worshipped him. But even as they're worshipping him, some are doubting. Some are doubting, even though he's standing right in front of their face, some are doubting that he's actually with them. I mean, these are Jesus' guys, right? These are the, the, the 11 guys who spent over three years walking with Jesus. So you would think that out of anybody on the planet, it wouldn't be these guys who would doubt. After they had seen miracle after miracle, and they had, had seen hopeless situations and God come through, how he had saved them from storms and hunger and all these different things, it's this moment that, where they're doubting, even though they can see Jesus right in front of them. You know, that's pretty real for us today. You know, there are moments where we are good at seeing God in situations. There are moments where we can see God at work. Uh, but then there are moments where we can't. 
There are moments where we miss Jesus, even though he's right in front of us, helping us out. There's, there's moments where we miss the presence of God, even though it's right there. You know, two weeks ago, I was at a I was at a, a, a high point spiritually. It was like God was really speaking to me through reading his word. Like I felt really connected. And then Tuesday morning came and I'm, I'm, I'm working and I'm in a happy place and I get a phone call. And the phone call is my wife, Bonnie, and she's on the other line freaking out saying, uh, Tyler, the basement is flooding. Come home. I'm like, oh, man. So we had just bought this house. And what we had been told is that the basement had never, ever flooded. And so I am, I'm, I'm mad, but I'm like, I can do this. I can do this. It'll be okay. And I get home, and the day wears on, and we are talking with plumbers and city and all, all sorts of things. We, we finally get the water pumped out about three inches, and I make it through that day. But the next day... I'm doubting. I'm like, man, God, what is going on here? Why did this happen? It threw my whole week off. Like, and and I'm, I'm doubting. I'm doubting. I, I don't know if you feel that way, like that's, that inconsistency in your life where you, where you swing from faith to doubt. Um, it's even the, those little things, the littlest bit of suffering, the smallest thing can throw us off. Uh, you know, they, they can throw us off and cause us to doubt. I mean, I started to doubt over a, a flooded basement, right? I mean, that's not the biggest deal in the world. So be encouraged, though, because these 11 disciples struggled with doubt. They, God had room for their doubt, even though he was about to entrust them with his entire ministry. They're still doubting in that moment. So it's at this point of doubt where Jesus, uh, Jesus speaks he speaks to them in this moment when they're experiencing doubt. And he says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. So it's in the middle of this moment of doubt that Jesus lands this whopper on his disciples. Like, I'm going to need you to go into all the earth and make disciples of me. And uh, I'll, be, I'll be with you. And he says that, and he leaves, right? He leaves. And, um, you know, more than any other passage in Scripture, it's the Great Commission. It's this passage that's caused me to struggle the most. It's the, this is the one that's caused me to be the most insecure about my faith. This is the one that's caused me to doubt sometimes if I am really following Christ or not. It's the Great Commission. And so when Jesus, in this moment of doubt to his disciples, when he says, go and make disciples, it doesn't remove their doubt. It amplifies their doubt. It increases their doubt. Instead of now only doubting in the, in the presence of God, they're also now doubting their ability to follow this command, just like we do. Like, it's not just, uh, it's a double doubt sandwich, okay? And I made that up, and uh, I just wanted to try it out on you guys. Um, if, if anything, it's, it's, it, it doubles their doubt. It's, it's a command that, that Jesus says, and it increases their doubt. Like, 
man, I don't know if you're there, and I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can actually obey this commandment. And the hardest thing about the Great Commission is often when I've heard it taught, I'm left with this feeling of, you should. Like, you, you should be reaching out. You should be making disciples. You should be bringing people to Christ. And that's absolutely true. We should be. You should be. We should be. Um, but the problem is I'm often left feeling guilty, uh, and, and I leave with less confidence in my ability to make someone else follow Christ. You know, instead, I remember all the times where I'm, that I missed, the opportunities that I missed, or times when I chickened out. And so today, my goal, as we look at this command, is not to, not to create guilt uh, but, or leave you feeling less confident, but to give you a picture of what this looks like when God is with us. You know, this command, even though it can freak us out, is our main purpose as disciples, to go and make more disciples. Um, God wants to use us to reach other people in the world because he created them and he loves them just as much as he loves you. And so even though we doubt and even though we're flawed, uh, we're the ones that he chooses to bring others into that restored relationship with him. And if you put this command in context, go and make disciples, that word go, translated, it really means as you go. As you go. So that means all of life is about making disciples. Not to, not to just go into um, you know, different parts of the world, but to, to just as you go. Like your life should be about making disciples. Like as you're at work and as you're at home and as you're at school, wherever you find yourself, make disciples. And we see that this is, is a continuous command that, that, that it doesn't stop. Jesus says that to the very end of the age, meaning that, meaning that this didn't stop with these 11 guys, but it continues, it continues today. My, my problem with that is that's a really heavy responsibility. I mean, I can't imagine a heavier responsibility than being the determining factor of whether or not somebody uh, experiences salvation and comes to know Christ. Um, there's no way I can carry that burden. Uh, there's no way I can carry that responsibility. I mean, I think about people. I think about my uncle who I've been sharing Christ with slowly for years. And, and I ask myself that question, am I the determining factor in whether or not he follows Christ or not? And I'm sure you too have people that you may feel responsible for. So it's in that tension, that tension of like, ugh, where Jesus gives us this promise. This is his parting words. He says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So I want to break that down. Because there's, there's the command and there's the promise. And they go together. So let's break it down. He says, surely. Surely. So without a doubt. You know, you guys are doubting. This means without a doubt, surely be assured that I am with you, that I'm still going to be here, even though I leave, I am with you, I'm not leaving, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So that means I'm with you continuously, and I'm with you forever. You know, Jesus communicates this promise to us in a way that we can lock up and take to the bank. 
that he'll never, ever not be with us. He'll never leave us. We'll never be alone. And, and right now, through your whole life, your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, he's never leaving. He'll always be there. See, God is with us in the going. And that's what we're talking about today. God is with us in the going as we go. We don't go alone. He comes with us. And that's the only way that this works. That's the only way that we can carry that sort of burden and deal with such a heavy responsibility. God is with us. And what I want to suggest to you today is that we have a choice when we follow Christ. And the choice is not whether or not to obey this, because if we're following Christ, this is a command, this is his purpose for us. So the choice is not whether or not to obey. You can ignore it, but you, you won't live out a f- fulfilled life in Christ. The choice today is, is not that. It's do you want to go and make disciples with God or without him? And what you choose matters. And so what I want to do is just share with you what those choices look like and what the implications are. And this is uh, the first slide. It says, or the first point is that without God, go and make disciples is burdensome. It's a burden. If we try to live this out on our own ability and our own strength, it will be a huge burden. It will feel like a burden. It will seem impossible. Uh, Maybe that's how it feels right now. And, And why that is, is because it will weigh us down. It's too heavy to carry. It's a task that we're not designed to carry on our own. There's no way we can effectively make disciples just out of our own willpower. There's no way I can lead someone to Christ out of my own strength, out of my own will. And so when we try to do that, we get weighed down with a couple things. I want to share those things. The first thing we get weighed down in or with is the how. How are we supposed to do this? How in the world can we make disciples without God being involved? How is this supposed to happen? So we try. You know, we get bogged down. It becomes complicated. And there becomes like one way to do it. And, and, and uh, we get, you know, we feel like it's a puzzle that God has left us to figure out on our own. Um, I love what Pastor Rick McKinley says in, in the opening of his book. He says, I've grown very tired of the question how. This question seems to permeate every inch of the world I live in. How to sell uh, millions of copies of books each year, or how-to books sell millions of copies each year, promising that we can master a myriad of topics from weight loss to making it rich in the stock market. Every author gives us a different set of steps to take and makes promises to us that are never kept. You know, it's like, if we try to, we live in a how-to culture and we want to Google everything and we have all this information and it's like when it comes to this, we can get lost in the how. I like what he says later. He says we can actually hide behind the question how. Well, how is that supposed to work? I don't know. It, it's, it can become an excuse. Like how, how am I supposed to fit that into my schedule and family life and I've got all this and how how, how. It can become a burden and an excuse. At the end of the day, it weighs us down. And the second thing that that weighs us down is simple. It's just ourselves. 
We get in the way. We get in the way of what, what God wants to do. And it starts uh, with a lack of faith. Do we actually believe that God can change hearts? Do we actually believe that he can change lives? And do we get hung up by looking at someone's situation or their struggle? Do we believe that God can actually restore people? And, and, and it's our faith that gets in the way. It's ourselves that say, no, he can't. We become, we become the cap to what God wants to do. Uh, Michael Frost would ca- calls this struggle with ourselves. He says what we're really battle- battling is fear and laziness. That we're afraid to risk. We're afraid to upset people or put ourselves in a vulnerable position. Uh, that, and, and Jesus is not a, uh, a peaceful figure at times. He can be very divisive. And so we can, uh, we can feel vulnerable when we take a step um, to share. And the laziness part, I mean, we're also, we're just really selfish people. As people, we struggle with selfishness. And so when we think about, like, how do I make this a priority in my life? We look at what we have to give up, whether it's time or money or comfort. It, it costs, and we'd rather not pay that cost. And the problem is, is if we allow fear and laziness to control our relationship with Christ, then what we're really doing is we're choosing religion instead of a relationship with Christ. And when I say religion, I mean that we're choosing to, to follow, follow some rules and do the right thing so that we'll get what we want. So that, that we'll get, you know, we'll appease God or, or whatever. And ultimately, when we choose religion, it puts the focus on us and not on Christ and others. It, it it prevents us from making disciples. And, and you know, in my seasons of weakness, it's, I find it easier to pursue religion than relationship. You know, it's easier sometimes to judge than to love, right? Because if I judge, I can, I can put my hand out and, and, and take a step back. I can dismiss. And um, that religion, religion is predictable, in relationship with Christ does not. Religion allows us to compare and judge. Relationship with Christ does not. Religion allows us to dismiss people. Relationship with Christ doesn't. And so we've got to root out those areas in our lives where we've become religious. We've got to ask God to give us soft hearts and soft eyes for people. We've got to pray for others. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who give you a hard time. You know, but ultimately that that ourselves wanting to follow that religion, it weighs us down and makes it, it makes it impossible for us to follow this command. But remember, there's two choices. You can go with God or without God. And so when I want to talk about, about the with God, I want to talk about what it looks like when we actually go and make disciples with God, because that's how it's supposed to work. It's like when we choose to make disciples with God, disciple-making is not burdensome. It's not a burden. With God, go and make disciples is beautiful. It's beautiful. It's not a burden. When I was, um, when I was 20, I spent the summer in London. And I was on this uh, mission trip for eight weeks. And uh, we had one day off. And so with one of those days off, 
I went to the National Gallery in London, and it was pretty cool. I mean, there's these huge, beautiful, priceless works of art everywhere, everywhere you could look. And I remember walking in thinking, like, I've, I've seen this in a textbook, or I've seen this, uh, you know, on a little page, and now here it is, full frame, full wall, vivid color of, uh, of this art. And I'm not an art guy or anything like that, but it was... It was pretty amazing. And I noticed there at the National Gallery that they have these benches that people can sit in and, or sit on and just absorb the art. But me being 20 and in a rush to see everything in London and the entire town, I didn't sit on any benches that day. I just went from thing to thing to thing. Oh, this is cool. You know, I didn't take that time to reflect. It, but it was like everywhere you looked, it was beautiful. So it's Everywhere, it was amazing everywhere. That's how I would describe it. It was just amazing everywhere. Everywhere you looked, it was beautiful. You know, when we experience God with us, when we, when we have God with us, when we fully believe and submit, uh, trust his promise that he will be with us uh, always and forever, um, go and make disciples becomes beautiful. And you get to be overwhelmed by the love and the goodness of God as you see God at work in other people. It is amazing everywhere. It is amazing everywhere when you can see God at work. And you get to experience God for yourself. You know, this verse talks about being baptized into community with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they're all with us. You know, we experience the Father with us with his unceasing love for us. That his, his love is unceasing and he, he desires to be near us. He wants to be our Father. We're led by the Son, Jesus. We're his disciples. He's our teacher and our shepherd. And we learn from him and we're ultimately saved through him. We seek to share him to others. And then we're empowered by the Spirit. That's God in us. And the Spirit is that supernatural power of God that we need for all of life. And that He changes us and makes us more like Christ. So it's Him that shines through us, not us trying to, trying to do the work for God. How crazy is it that this God is real and wants to be with us? When we see that, it is amazing everywhere. You know, when we surrender and trust God, that burden goes away. That burden of carrying everything on our own goes away, including that burden of responsibility for other people. You know, when I finally realized that God wasn't a distant judge, but that he was a close father, that's what changed everything for me. That's, what, that, that's really when I trusted God at that moment. Because when God moves in you, it is really beautiful. And what it looks like is this. I'm going to stay sort of in that painting world. What it looks like is that God is the painter. He's the restoration artist. And we are his brush. We are the brush that God uses to change people. I had a mentor who said, God sees people as ruined Rembrandts. Rembrandt was this famous Dutch painter. He painted a lot of stuff. I'm talking a lot about art. I know nothing about art, so... Just, just going with it today. It's an arty day, I guess. Um, but Rembrandt was this Dutch painter, and he painted all these like beautiful works. Um, 
You know, and we are created in the image of God. We are, we are made in God's image. You know, we're a work of art. But because of sin, uh, we're ruined. All of us are ruined. And so God is a master at restoration. And, and he's an artist that restores us to what we were originally supposed to look like. And so in this process, God uses um, his disciples as his brush. He is doing the work. We are, we are what he uses to get it done. This week, I, I got to sit down with my friend Steve at Burger King. And uh, Steve's been a part of the community here for the last couple years. And if you know Steve, you might sense that he has this beautiful heart um, that's caught up in loving God. And so Steve told me his story with tears in his eyes um, about how he came to know Jesus. Steve had a, had a rough upbringing. Uh, he, he'd lived in and out of foster care growing up. When he got older, he struggled with alcohol addiction. And uh, a few years ago, um, he went through some major losses in life. But in spite of that, Steve had reached a point where he had felt like he had overcome a lot of that, where he had reached some resolve with that. And he thought, he thought that he had become a pretty good person. But then he started working with Amy. And he noticed Amy's life and how kind she was and how she, she loved others. And he realized, he said he realized that he ha- she had something that he didn't. And it's then that Steve realized, uh, I'm not happy because I'm selfish. That I, I, I can't really love others because ultimately I'm concerned about me. And so Amy shared with him about her relationship with Jesus. And Steve had been skeptical of God and the church from his past experience. You know, when he, he, he said that, his thoughts were, how could God be real if I've had to go through what I've had to go through? But this was different. And so Amy invited Steve to church one Sunday here, and, and he reluctantly came. And he was hoping to just sneak in or out of the building. But when he got here, Amy was right there. So he couldn't go anywhere. Not only that, Steve works at the school and all these students started coming up to him and say, hi, Steve, hi, Steve, hi, Steve. So Steve was stuck. Steve was just stuck. And uh, God spoke to him during the message that Sunday. And, and as Steve stood up to worship, his heart was breaking in the right way. And, and, um, and, and, and he felt Amy put her hand on his shoulder, something that she felt prompted to do. And he said it was that that moment, where he experienced the Holy Spirit for the first time, where he felt God enter into his life. And, and what he said, which is so beautiful, he said he's like, the weight that he was carrying was given to someone else. And uh, that was the beginning of Steve's life changing completely. And Steve, would you just raise your hand, because I'd like people to know that you're real. So that's Steve right there. Yeah. And uh, he's gracious enough to let me share that. That story, but his story is beautiful. His story is beautiful. And, and, and we get to celebrate stuff like that because we get to watch God do the work. And uh, it's, just, it's just really cool. And, uh, you know, with God, this command to go and make disciples is beautiful. And, and my hope is that we will choose to go and to go with God. You know, it's the only way that we can, we can live out a purposeful life in Christ. You know, if you're here today and you're in the place 
where Steve was a couple years ago. Um, I just want to encourage you to say yes to God this morning, whether it's now or during worship. I want you to say yes to God. We want you to say yes to God. We want, and we want to walk with you in that. So if that's you and you want to say yes to God this morning, say it and let somebody know. Let us know. There'll be people in the back or up front that, that would love to know that, and we want to walk with you in this life with Christ. So as the band comes up, I want to encourage you that God is with you in the going. Let's go back to those 11 disciples on the mountaintop. Remember those 11 disciples who were doubting and kind of afraid and confused and just kind of like bewildered in that moment? Well, God used those 11 disciples to change the entire world. God used those 11 disciples Uh, to bring thousands and thousands of people to him and to build his church. We, you and I, would not be sitting here if it wasn't for those 11 guys that Jesus commanded it to. We wouldn't be sitting here. You know, what's tragically beautiful is all but one of them were martyred for their faith. They gave up everything to follow Jesus. They lived for what's ahead, not what's behind. You know, that's a tough thing to think about, but I want to I wanna go out today on a, on a positive note, on a really, really positive note. Know that with God, we're headed for a beautiful finish. And so, and that's being with him forever. And I want to share this verse uh, from Revelation 21, and then, then we'll pray. This is uh, Revelation 21. This is, uh, this is what we're headed for. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is among the people, and he will be with them. He will be his, they will be his people, and, he, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. You know, God is going to restore everything. And that starts with us. And my, my prayer is that we would, we would accept what God's laid out, that we would know, that you would know that God is with you and wants to be with you and that you'll be with him forever. Let's pray.